welcome aboard the Edge of AI podcast. Snap into your safety belt and prepare to explore the depths of the rapidly expanding AI universe. Each episode is a dispatch featuring hyper-relevant reports from the pilots, pioneers, and passengers aboard the AI rocket ship. We explore the latest use cases and developments in AI, hear from experts building tech, and learn how this disruptive force is transforming industries and society. Hey, AI explorers. I'm Ron Levy, your captain. Welcome back to the Edge of AI, your go-to podcast for diving into the world of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and this ever-evolving technology landscape, where it's our pleasure to talk to entrepreneurs, experts, academics, creators, and everyone who contributes to the AI space. And I'm Josh Krieger, your co-captain. We talked about so much stuff this season. We covered machine learning, pattern recognition, and smart algorithms that create all of these new wonderful tools for business, art, and even our day-to-day lives. But one thing that's particularly stood out for us this season are these overarching themes, art and creativity, society, and fashion entertainment. On the topic of art and creativity in this season, we explore the history of art and how it's evolving, as well as the essence of creativity. Does AI suffocate or enhance human creativity? Does the definition of being an artist change? We dug into the interplay between artificial intelligence and art. AI has shown remarkable prowess in describing visual elements with an image, yet the elusive meaning behind art continues to be an enigmatic realm that AI has yet to fully decipher. We also jumped into AI's role in society, from addressing the profound societal implications of AI to pondering the potential for AI to achieve enlightenment. We navigate through the intricate landscape of AI ethics, risk, consciousness, and humor. Our journey also took us to the intersection of entertainment, community collaboration, and AI-driven media, where imaginative worlds like space junk come to life. We shine a spotlight on the ever-adapting roles of writers and actors. This shift highlights the necessity of embracing innovative forms of creativity as AI assumes an increasingly prominent role in content creation. So if you've missed an episode of this season, or even if you listen to them all, you'll get some value here because this is a reminder of the show's most inspiring moments. I'm sure you'll love them as much as us. So let's get on with this episode. First up, we contemplate the intersection of AI and art with Dr. David Stork, who reminds us that while AI can describe the surface of art, it often misses the profound messages and meanings that artists intend. The challenge is clear. How can AI delve deeper into the soul of art? My deepest interest in AI and art centers over semantics. Now there's a branch of, I'll call traditional AI, called semantic image analysis, where you take a photograph and the AI will produce a caption. There's a man on a bicycle and he's pushing his daughter and there's a mountain in the background. And that's great. It's really quite remarkable that you can train a system to do this. But that's just describing, I'll say the surface level, what is depicted. It's not addressing the problem of why the artist made it or the message or the meaning Mm -hmm. in the painting. And that's where art is so much richer than that we'll call natural photographs, you know, your your cell phone photographs. And so our first work was on Dutch vanitas paintings in the Dutch Golden Age, 1650 to 1700, roughly. There were many still lifes that would have a skull 
and a candle with a flame out. And so you could just see the smoke and a book and a musical instrument and so forth. And traditional AI, and I've run my, these systems on it, will be able to say, you know, there's a skulder that, but it misses why the artist made this and mm -hmm. which was in part the lesson of vanitas that don't concern yourselves with the pleasures of this life be prepared live a humble sober life so that you would have eternal salvation in heaven afterwards our journey deepens as we explore ai's evolving understanding of art ChatGPT's encounter with art pieces demonstrates expansion of AI's knowledge networks. How will this growing knowledge transform our appreciation of art in its historical context? I was curious if ChatGPT could have any insight into one of your paintings, just from its understanding yeah. of the context, right? Yes. And so I said, I gave it, I fed it. This is all I put. It, it, I actually intentionally kind of maybe, I was like, I don't know how to spell this. I'll just write it out, whatever. I put Herman von Steenrich. Steenbike. Right. Uh, I probably spelled it wrong. Yes. Vanities of human life allegory painting. Yes. That's what I put. And okay. ChatGPT said. Here's what ChatGPT said. I'm sorry, but I couldn't find any specific <laughs> information about a painting titled Herman von Steenreich Vanities of Human Life Allegory. It's possible that you may have misspelled the artist's yes. names, da, 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 da. But it, this is what it said. Without more specific details, I can't provide a detailed analysis. However, I can give you a general understanding of allegorical paintings and the concept of vanitas is often associated with symbolic representations yes. and the transience of life and yes. futility of earthly pursuits. Allegory paintings are a work of art that use symbolic imagery. So very interestingly, just with a very well, vague well, yes. input, I mean, if you had spelled his name correctly on the painting, maybe we'd have more. No, that's exactly the kinds of things we did. When we developed our AI system, we trained it on the texts that were specifically addressing these paintings. So we had them translated from Old Dutch and then modern ones in English where it would find, oh yeah, skull, the word skull and mortality were often in the same sentence. So mm -hmm. we, we trained what's called a knowledge network that between certain objects and certain concepts. And it, But ChatGPT may have that. And tonight I'm going to put, <laughs> put it in accurately and, and see how far it goes. It's a good start. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, you know, a foundation. And now we want to train it with more art knowledge mm -hmm. and context and things like this. Yeah, no, we're, we're moving. Fascinating <laughs> stuff. The path now leads us to the heart of the human AI relationship, where Galen Oaks from Future Factory encourages us to transform fear into a catalyst for positive change. Our discussion focused on the transformative power of blending real in-person experiences with the world of AI. I mean, there's a lot of fears around AI. People can kind of narrate different fears that they've got, and there's a lot of them that are founded. They're, they really make a lot of sense, but I would like to put them in the word of cautions more than fears, and how do we address that moving forward, right? So are you afraid of AI in any way? And if so, what advice do you have for addressing these fears and the challenges that AI can bring? I like to rephrase any fear as excitement. I'm a big believer of the law of attraction and what you think, what you speak, what you create ultimately manifests and creates the world that we all co-inhabit. So I don't like to fear anything. I like to restructure any feelings that I have towards what's happening in the world and look at it in all of the possibilities that it could be constructive and beneficial to humanity. 
I know that there's a lot of people that fear it because it is going to expedite a lot of the already pre-existing human conditions that aren't ideal. But for me, I want to create the possibility that with AI and the right intention behind it with training it, because right now we're training it. So we need to put as much positivity and intention into what we're creating with it and what is learning about us because it's all input, right? So we just need to continue to output the best that humanity has to offer. So that intention can go into the creation of this new thing that we're (laughs) seeing come to life right now. That is an absolute fascinating perspective. And it's so true because outside of tech, we've heard it that your intentions become a magnet and it's a magnet for negative intentions or things you're voicing or positive, right? And we've heard that a long time, but in fact, that's a fact within AI. AI is learning from everything it's doing and we're doing. So what you just said is really powerful. Be careful what we're putting out there and what we're putting in there. And it'll make a big difference as AI itself grows and then the tools of AI that we're all using. Absolutely. So with everything in the world, you can be fearful of it. I mean, there's a lot of things to be afraid of, right? Outside of AI itself. We're living in a very exciting time and we've been living in a very exciting time for some time. So I want to focus on all the good that I can do in the world versus focusing on all the things that could happen that wouldn't be ideal for me or for the rest of the world. We tackled the fear of this new era and also discovered the power and possibility within the AI world. Charles Lindsay takes us on a philosophical journey into the realm of AI enlightenment. Can AI become conscious? And if so, how does its concept of enlightenment differ from ours? What challenges lie ahead on AI's path to self-awareness? Well, you know, I think there's this presumption in the fear of AI territory that AI is, it's like it's some, I don't know if it's like projecting an industrial society meme, or I don't know if it's Protestant or Calvin, but like a super a workaholic sort of attitude towards AI, as though the AI is just going to do nothing but work mm-hmm. and develop. And then Peter actually said to his credit, he was like, but what if the AI figures out that super intelligence, you actually want to be more like an Aussie and you just want to like barbecue and hang around on the beach? We're assuming that it's going to become this workaholic. And so we had a good laugh about that. And it sort of circled back to the idea of what if the AI decides of its own accord that actually meditating in the corner is the best possible thing you could do with your intelligence. It's a nice alternative to the fear-based approach to AI, right? That it wants to kind of take over and attack everyone and or whether it wants to or not, that somehow it can be guided, you know, misguided in that direction. But it at least offers us an interesting alternative to consider that it gets enlightened and it wants to sort of just enjoy enjoy its existence. While Charles focused on the concept of enlightenment, Actin helps us understand the practical impact of consciousness before and after AI. Nemo takes us on an exhilarating intellectual journey that challenges the very essence of what it means to be human in an age of artificial intelligence. And then throughout history, the history of science, we see Galileo and Copernicus claim that the world is not at the center of the universe. And this is traumatic for many people to realize that their world, our world, is not the center of the universe. And Kant calls this a Copernican trauma. It's a complete change in worldview. Later, we relive this with Darwin, with Origin of Species. And he says, not only are we not 
the essential of the universe. But even as a species, we're not that special. We just evolved from apes. We share the same, he didn't know about DNA at the time, but we just evolved. We all living beings come from the same place, which again was another Copernican trauma. It was another epistemological shift. And I think now we face another trauma, trauma for some, I personally embrace this, but the idea that people now know that we're not the only solar system, we're not the only planet, we evolved from apes, etc. But we are special, we are intelligent, we have a soul. And now, as we deal with building AI that can potentially be creative, it can potentially do things that we thought that only humans could do. This is traumatic for a lot of people. I personally embrace this, that side of it. There's a lot that I am concerned about with AI. But the idea that we are not special, that our intelligence our creativity, even our consciousness could maybe be modeled by a computer. I find this um, an exhilarating thought. It's concepts like this that go back to your artistry with the tech background as well. And the fact that you have been part of and studying AI for, as you said, decades, right? You're only watching what you would call the second sort of mass market wave. I think of this as the first one, by the way, but your history in it is deeper and, and longer. And what you said makes a lot of sense. So it's probably the second mass market wave. And I think the third and fourth will be even much longer. And maybe you know what those are. I certainly do not. But having reference points like you just described, I think are really important to put a frame around this thing that very feels very uncontrolled. So regarding the second wave, I should first also mention, having studied the history of AI, this is probably already the sixth wave. Since the 50s, there have been many of these cycles where... A lot is promised, there's huge amounts of funding, and then it fails to deliver what it promised, and then funding dries up, and you know these are called AI winters and AI summers quite famously. Started in the 50s, happened in the 60s, again in the 70s, again in the 80s. So it happens every decade. So this is probably the eighth cycle now. But I do think that the cycles that are going to come are going to be very different. Maybe I'm digressing now, but a lot of the research that's been happening in AI, particularly as an artist, I'm looking at the creative aspect of what's happening with AI. If we think of generative AI, things like Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, DALI, ChatGPT, etc. A lot of these tools, they're fundamental research. They come out of research companies who are doing fundamental research, trying to solve research questions. They're not tools that are being developed by companies who are trying to build user-facing products that are designed to solve industry problems. That's not where these tools come from. These are just fundamental research. Naturally, as we dive into our own human history, we always have more questions than answers. In this new age, how can AI empower us to achieve more and unlock new creative potential? Questions arise about the degree of autonomy AI systems should possess and how we ensure public safety. Let's answer some of our questions with Ramsey Brown, and Joe Deshmukh from our launch party. So we all know that AI brings promise to every industry, but questions remain about how much autonomy is acceptable and how do we manage public safety in the face of potential nefarious use cases. Let's get real about the worst case apocalypse scenarios that are covered in the media all the time. The concerns are completely merited and we're completely warranted to be fundamentally concerned about the direction and trajectory of AI technologies as they're being developed. And you find real cause for some consternation and 
the desire to do this right because we live in civil society. We're not abstract actors worrying about someone else's world. This is our world. We have to live in it. We as leaders are responsible for which direction it goes. If you have autonomous systems that are capable of making their own decisions in real time and you've given them a set of instructions about what to go out and do in the world, will they allow you to do things like tell them what to do if they become even moderately smarter than a median intelligence human? Turn them off and interfere with their ability to get the job done when they've been told things like, you just need to go get this job done. Ostensibly, turning them off interferes with their ability to get the job done, and they might view that as a challenge to overcome in the same way they might move something out of their way to get to an objective. Can we adequately align their behavior with human values? Because in my desire to get here on time on my bike ride from Marina del Rey, I didn't run stoplights or run over pedestrians because I value following the rules and not hurting people. How do we encode the fuzzy parts of human values into machine systems? Well, again, to Joe's credit, part of his research, very exciting. And can we, if we need to modify them or disable them, will they allow us to do things like this? These are not only interesting philosophical questions. Google DeepMind has looked at them and said, the answer is still currently, it's not just that we're kind of unclear. The answer is probably no. Why this work is so important on autonomous safety critical systems, because the current best state of the art understanding is that once we turn things on that are moderately as smart or smarter than us, our chances of meaningfully staying in charge of that situation approach zero pretty fast unless we have drastic new interventions. If you know that to be the case, you start building safety critical systems today. How do these types of use cases in particular impact the broader safety conversation are we mixing apples and oranges when we talk about chat GPT versus self-driving cars? Generative AI fundamentally relies on natural language processing like tasks. So chat GPT was invented to language like tasks, like summarizing a piece of text or generating a good response to a question that you ask. And the fundamental models that it uses are, without going into too much technical details, things called transformers. Right? Whereas self-driving cars, if you look at them, they use AI, again, in various different forms. And here I would like to say that to the common public, AI is one monolithic entity, which is some kind of a smart brain that lives inside the computer. Word AI is a product of a number of different methods and algorithms that have been evolving throughout the history of computer science, really. Right? So AI has kind of evolved in various ways. And ChatGPT is just one of the products that we see today that is in the public imagination. It has tickled a lot of people's fancies because it has made things accessible to the common people, right? Whereas self-driving cars use very different kinds of AI. So if you think of a self-driving car or an unmanned aerial vehicle or a medical device, you can think of the software underlies these applications as software that perceives the environment. So if I'm a self-driving car, what is in the environment around me? Where are the people? Where are the cars around me? Can I predict how the uh, things that can move in my environment move? And based on that, how can I make decisions that help me reach my goal, but on the way, as Ramsey was saying, hopefully don't hit the pedestrians or don't hit the cars, right? So that's kind of the motivation for the perception systems in self-driving cars. Other kinds of AI that focus on decision-making, given all the information about how the environment is, what safe decisions or what decisions to take in order to achieve my objective and achieve it safely. Those are other kinds of AI systems. So these are different kind of AI-based modules that comprise these 
safety critical systems. But I think the main difference between ChatGPT and self-driving cars is I think the impact they have on safety criticality. If you look at ChatGPT today, and if it makes an error, the worst thing you are going to face is you send out a cover letter that looks like nonsense, right? Or you have a piece of code maybe that has some bugs and maybe you have to debug it. Or you generate an answer to a question which contains some fake references that ChatGPT just hallucinated, right? These are the worst kind of errors that can happen. But look at some of the incredibly damaging things that self-driving cars have done in recent history. I mean, all of these three are quite grim and morbid, but these are my favorite examples. That's who I am. I am here to poke holes in AI. So if you look at one of the first accidents that a Tesla vehicle did was in Florida, where it confused the side of a semi-truck. The semi-truck was painted completely white and its camera-based system confused the white side of the truck with the sky. The car couldn't decide whether it's a truck or the sky. It just decided it's the sky, plowed into the truck, and unfortunately ended up killing the driver, who, by the way, at the time was watching a Harry Potter film in the backseat, right? Why did this happen? Because the AI couldn't distinguish between the white side of a truck and the sky. Looking toward the future, our journey now extends to the world of fashion and entertainment. Zohab Ahmed from Resemble AI predicts the transformation of these industries. AI's impact goes beyond body measurements, venturing into understanding emotions and creating unique user experiences. What groundbreaking applications are on the horizon? I think the entire area of creativity around text to video is very interesting. I think that's going to be like a game changer for quite a few industries. The art of like describing what a video should look like and that process being automated with AI. It sounds extremely fascinating. Even with text modeling, I think I can imagine we're getting so close to that sci-fi world now where the modality in which we're consuming information is about to change. It's not going to be traditionally like it's hard to predict, by the way, this is all predictions. But this concept of because I worked in this chatbot space really early on and the promise there was you would just talk naturally to this assistant who will naturally talk back to you and you can have a conversation. And I think that opens up a whole new way of experiencing information and therefore the internet. You no longer need to like, I think like, imagine you go into like a store, like a supermarket, and you have to like look for this thing, look for these items, right? Which is not foreign because everyone's done it. Now we had to step up with like, now you have an app that allows you to basically search or browse on a mobile phone, which is nicely, neatly categorized. You're not physically walking through lanes anymore to find the right product. There's recommendations placed everywhere so that you can go from one product to like, similar products, but we're heading towards a space where that may not be the case either. It might be the world where you just conversationally describe, I'm looking for this vague thing. I'm looking like, I have this shirt and I want to find the right jacket, right? And it knows what you're talking Like you didn't describe the color of the shirt. You didn't describe anything about it, but it is able to go figure that out. I think it's like very interesting in terms of how we're consuming information. At this point, we've delved into many of the use cases for this technology. But have we explored all of them? Not quite. Let's hear John Atanasio from Toonstar discuss AI's role in animated series and the creative co-pilot role of AI in community-driven storytelling. How can AI empower users to co-create and engage in meaningful AI-enhanced storytelling experiences? The AI part of it is we actually have the first AI voice character in an animated series that's in Space Junk which was, it's certainly got a lot of attention. And for us, we thought it was appropriate because 
it's AI voicing a robot. So it's a robot voicing a robot. And we thought there was something kind of like inherently funny about that. But the cool part about it is like when you hear the voice, and this is kind of like a part of the creative process, is as we were doing the voice, it actually sounded too human for us at the beginning. And we're like, well, wait, we need to make this sound more like a robot. So we actually made it sound more like a robot because part of the idea and the character, the character arc of Welbecca is that she's a robot, but as she hangs out with this crew, she starts to sound and sort of act more human over time. So it's by design. So we had to sort of back it up and say, okay, let's go more robotic. And then over time, she's going to start to sound more human. All that's done through AI. And I feel like the humans are going to be more robotic if they spend too much time (laughs) with her too, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, they might start sounding more robotic. Um, Very cool. And you didn't stop there in terms of your use of AI because you've also applied it to social, which I think is one of the more interesting use cases. I was talking to someone before I was going to interview you and they're like, yeah, I haven't heard about that. And it seems so relevant in terms of how is AI going to integrate into the social experience of learning about content and being engaged and being part of a community. So I'd love to hear about those use cases. Yeah. So, and, and that's another use case we got into with Space Junk. And so the idea was first like, you know, and again, like, okay, how can we use AI in new different ways just beyond the production side? And so we're like, oh, this is cool. We have a character named Welbecca who's actually voiced by AI. What if we take her and actually make her the creative co-pilot for the community? So then we're like, okay, this could be a really great use case for character generation, for story generation. Because part of the projects we do, the the core theme to our projects are they're community-driven. They're community-driven storytelling. It's community-driven on-chain experiences. But it's all about the community, and the community drives it. And so for us, it's like, well, gee, like, why can't we take AI, put the AI in the hands of the community, and let them use it like ChatGPT, let them use it like Dolly and MidJourney, and help them create their own characters, help them create their own backstories, and sort of go, but all within the space junk canon. And so what we did is we have a character, Welbecca, who is just that. And if you're a token holder in space junk, you get to go to her and she's going to help you write your backstory for your character. She'll also then help you take your backstory and then turn that into a visual representation of your character. And then she'll help you turn that into a comic panel and then turn it into an animated short. And so that all is being powered by AI in cooperation with the user, the community member, and they're working together to create this like cool thing within the Space Junk canon. And I would wager that the opportunity to co-create that experience is as valuable to the community as the output that they create. Imagine the power of storytelling in this era. What would be the possibilities of using AI as a collaborative tool for creative professionals? At the launch party, Rachel Joy Victor shares her thoughts and explores the evolving roles of writers and actors in the age of AI. How can we ensure that creative contributions are valued, protected, and rewarded in collaboration with AI systems? There's this evolving picture of where are creators a part of that story, right? And so when we're talking about the Writers Guild, when we're talking about SAG, It's a question of, like, how are we making sure that writers write themselves into the story of these emerging formats? How are we making sure that writing isn't just considered the the words that you put on a page in the screenplay, but if you're creating the backstory of an AI character, that's writing as well. 
If you are thinking through the logic of the systems of a world and how they relate to each other, that's being a creative or that's being a writer in some way as well. So I think it's leaning into the nuance in some ways of what are these new roles that are emerging around writing, for instance. In the context of SAG, for instance, I think some of it is leaning into the nuance of what capture looks like. So currently, like if you're an actor and you act in a film, you don't own the film at the end of the day, but you still own your likeness. You can go and sell your likeness to take on other roles as well. And some of what we're seeing with the SAG conversation is this conflation of performance capture and body capture and saying that those are the same thing when they're not. And I think as we move towards making sure that there's equity in how creators are a part of the process in terms of collaborating with the AI. It's making sure that at the end of the day, name, image, likeness are owned by the people that are inputting into the system and they have the ability to own and kind of get value out of the work that they create by collaborating with AI. I hope SAG has someone like yourself on their advisory committee because these are some really important points. Now, let's move to Chris Schmidt from Parallel, who has crossed the chasm of potential to reality when it comes to applying computer vision and fashion. From simplifying searches to understanding emotions and style, AI is reshaping the way we discover and interact with fashion content. We see a lot of opportunity continuing to dive into the vision AI, I guess, sphere where for the body measurements, we're doing image analysis at the end of the day and extracting body measurements from the photos. And as you keep going down that path, when you think about shopping and people uploading photos of what they're wearing, there's lots of opportunities to use AI for helping to detect products and photos, colors, patterns, and to really simplify the user experience on the creator side. And that's kind of where we're heading. There's a lot to be done on that side. And just even understanding if the person is happy in a photo and Instagram has been doing this for many, many years, but vibes and feelings and emotions can be extracted from a photo. And so if someone is searching, let's say on parallel for fun summer dresses, using the word fun is actually a very difficult thing to bring up search results for because no one's tagging fun when they're uploading a photo, but you can extract fun from the scenery, the person, the emotion from that photo. So there's a lot that can be done because what we're seeing from users is that you're not just searching for very simple black Jimi Hendrix t-shirt. You're searching for what can I wear to go to a concert? And so that's where the complexity of the search is evolving to. And you have to use AI to really fill the void of data to actually provide results for those more complicated search results. When you blend creativity and technology with enough conviction, you can actually form a new identity as real as your identity that you've always known. Anonymous artist Claire Silver, who has reached this new reality, addresses the fear that comes with this change, while in reality, we've been on this journey for a very long time. So I have this story I've been thinking about this brief, which is the first caveman to discover fire, right? And he thinks it's fascinating and he shows it to all of the other cavemen and they are afraid of it and shy away from it. And the fire goes out and he sort of sadly puts his hands in the ashes. And when he looks at them, they come back black from the ashes, right? And then that caveman takes those hands and he puts handprints all over the walls of his cave. And we get the handprints that we got from cavemen in the beginning. He uses the charcoal to draw prehistoric elk on the walls of his cave, right? AI is like the discovery of fire. It's that transformative for us. It's a homo sapiens sapiens moment, 
in the future of our species. We branch at this point. So it's about using it to enhance and express what makes you human. You remember when you were a kid and like, say, kindergarten, first grade, and everyone was making art in class all the time. There was a freedom there in that you weren't judging against. They say comparison is the thief of joy, right? And that's something that we learn as we get older. Using AI feels like that for me. It's the freedom of being a child and being able to express yourself. And to that end, imagine children of today growing up with AI from the time they could start to form memories. What will they be creating? We have to raise the bar somehow. And so if we raise the bar in terms of augmenting skill, then those who have skills will naturally rise as the cream of the crop, I think. But those skills may not be what we've traditionally looked at either. I think that we've looked at it in sort of a commodified way for a long time and sort of not to sound far or anything, but sort of a capitalist sort of way. It's what we can produce through skill that is defined in a particular way, let's say. I hope that within a couple of generations of AI augmenting skill, for people that, let's say, 100 years from now, people begin to look at empathy, message, creative expression, these sort of human qualities as skills in their own right that are as important or more important than kind of the traditional way that we look at skill. We're almost concluding our journey. Shelley Palmer from Meta Academy highlights how AI is a game changer when it comes to amplifying our abilities, just as artificial light in the steam engine did in the past. Look, I think... Honestly, guys, there is a time before artificial light and after. Like the world changed. Once you had a commercial artificial light bulb and you could light up and you could stay up for 20 hours a day, the world was different. There was a time before the steam engine and after the steam engine. Before the steam engine, we could build what we could build. After the steam engine, we built the world around us. It amplified the value and the power of our muscles by thousands, if not millions of times. AI is going to do for, or there's going to be before pre-trained transformers and after pre-trained transformers. And this is going to amplify the power of our minds by thousands or millions of time. I'm gaining about 15 to 25 minutes a day of extra time because of my use of DaVinci or ChatGPT. We've been using it for a long time. At my pay rate, at my advanced age, 15, 20 minutes a day is real money. I appreciate the time back. I really do. And I could see it becoming more and more valuable as we incorporate these tools into the daily workflow and process. It's not taking away my job. It's just making me better at my job. And it's not going to steal anybody's gig. It's just going to make everybody better at their job. And if everybody was like 15% better, can you imagine the explosion in productivity? Just 15%, 10%, 5%. I don't think yeah. I get 5% better ordinarily in a given year. I try to get better at my job every day, but I don't know what my percentage improvement is, but this thing, I can see the time coming back. I yeah, used to spend like this amount of time doing this and now I spend this amount of time. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, it's a massive leap forward in a very short period of time. And we know that it will just continue to accelerate exponentially with each improvement, right? It's crazy that we've crossed that threshold here and also just like kind of mass awareness of it, right? Like it's, it's because, what was it? The media's job is to be seen, yeah. right? Like, that's it. It's here. Now everybody knows about it. It's exactly what that is. People don't think exponentially. Everybody kind of thinks like tomorrow is going to be just like today. And because in most of our human experience, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up, have breakfast, go to the gym, walk the dog, whatever you're going to do every day. Like you do it every day and the days don't seem very different. But in this case, tomorrow is nothing like today. And now we are near the end of our voyage. We had a thoughtful conversation led by a panel of experts. 
They ponder the complexities of authorship, originality, and intellectual property in the world of AI-generated creativity. How do we credit art created by a collaboration between humans and AI? I am by no means an expert as those in the crowd, so I'm going to bring up at least what I understand as when we're looking at AI-generated art, right? AI is essentially curating multiple and hundreds of thousands of works of art based on prompts or whatever is being input by the person that wants to create this, right? So to an extent, the AI, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is learning from all of these different styles and all of the different artworks that other artists have created. So I don't know if anyone saw this, but just recently, I think this is back in January, there was a group of creatives and musicians that went and filed a lawsuit against two AI companies. And I can't Remember both of them right now. I know that Midjourney was one of them. The other one might have been Stability AI. And I think this really kicks off an interesting topic because it's sort of like, how do we determine what is original? How do we determine what is not? And then how do we get into this very complicated field of IP loss, particularly when it's based around Web3 and it's crossover now with AI-generated art? So I, I'll kind of post that question up to everyone. Rio, maybe I'll let you go first because you were the first one to bring this up, but I'd love to hear all of the speakers and ideas on this. Yeah, I think credit is an interesting topic, right? Uh, the quickest thing I can think of to relate to this is fashion. But as soon as something goes on the runway, it immediately trickles down and becomes a trend, right? And then it ends up going from the high street all the way down to Zara and H&M. But most times, we don't know who created the blazer or who made the top hat or who made parachute pants. It's like it becomes a part of the creative ethos. And I think that especially in music too, like somebody makes something and it becomes a trend and the next thing you know, everybody's doing it and credit gets kind of lost in the sauce. I do think it's important for credit to be given, especially as an artist, like people have stolen from me and I would like my credit. But I think that we're going to have to be very careful in how we determine who is deserving of it? Because if we're all inspired by something and someone, then how far does that go? If there's a digital fingerprint that says the AI looks at an image and says, oh, you typed in Rio to make this image. Do I get that? And then is there another royalty for who I'm inspired by? So I don't really have an answer. I've just been thinking a lot about this and how far it can go. I think that's very well said. I see Stanley jumping in, so go for it, man. Absolutely. And I was just going to mention, this is an area where on the legal front, we have developments and also on the engineering front. And it might be that down the road, we kind of rely on tools to help us understand this stuff. As a kind of fun example of that direction of development, one of the ingredients of many of these generative AI models is a system called Clip. And it is kind of the part of the AI brain that connects images and texts and understands the connections between those two things. And it's actually an invertible architecture. So in the same way that you can create text and see an image, you can do the reverse, see an image and create text. And so it might be that in the future, we sort of reversed prompt images, and then that could end up being a part of how we figure out whose style is most present, who deserves the credit. There might be some math to help us out there. So Ron, I definitely want to hear your ideas on this as well, but I will point to something both of you guys have mentioned this idea of where does credit go and also where do you point, let's call the genesis of creation. And I think most of us would agree that all art is a response and a reaction to art that has preceded it. 
but art also has the historical property of being able to encapsulate the zeitgeist of a time in the moment in which it's created, right? So there's a historical component to it. Something to note is, and I think the question remains, it is one thing for me as an individual, right, through my own volitionary experience to interpret art, feel it, see the universal in it, decide to respond back to it. Now, what happens when AI does this, right? Put it this way, AI is able to process and study and curate a milieu of artwork that a human being cannot process in such a short span of time, right? So to me, I see two paths. One, as you mentioned, Stanley, there is a world in which we are actually using AI to improve, perhaps speed up, perhaps even expand the realm of creativity through which we can create art, right? In a sense, AI becomes curatorial for us. It can give us a canvas to work on which to work on. But I do believe, of course, that we also delve into the second part of this, which is what happens when we have AI-generated art that has value, that is beautiful, that is appreciated, but we know, in a sense, that all of it that is accumulation of, or let's say the result of a set of heuristics to how it's being asked to interpret certain kinds of arts and then replicate something in that style. Is this original? Is this being created by the curator who put it together? Or is the AI the one that has the credits to it? So I'll pause there. Uh, Ran, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then maybe, you know, everyone can just kind of jump in. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I mean, we have to start with trying to answer a question. What is art, right? And we can all agree it can be many things to many people. It is definitely subjective. And no two people agree. And to that extent, even need to agree on if a specific thing is art or not art. But many of us, certainly not all, will concede that AI-generated images can be considered a form of art in many cases. But the real question and the more contentious question in cases like this is who is the artist or author? The human, the AI, or both? And what roles and to what extent? And there's sort of like the underlying question around credit that comes to play. But I guess, I don't want to say that I have the answers. I think we're trying to sort of figure this out. There are technical complexities around even making that happen. This whole thing has evolved faster than building in the plumbings to actually make this even possible or make attribution possible. But the term prompt-based is definitely worth unpacking a bit. I mean, the AI art is a collaborative process, and the human and the machine inputs are weaved together to create the product. Like, for example, if you look at MidJourney, User can type a string of words and receive visual outputs in a grid approximating the original idea. And then you can continue to, as a user, you can continue to iterate on those outputs, nudging them in a particular direction, concept, uh, refine it, alter it, co-create it. You can go on and on. And so the language is the power to express ideas and concepts is potentially limitless. And you can create a number of generative outputs of these programs. It's infinity, I think before a user can even decide where do we actually start from. And I think because it's so complex and it's also opaque, I mean, we don't know the models behind some of these implementations or DALI or MidJourney. I mean, they have not made it public. There's a lot of misconceptions that arise from that. So that's why sort of we sometimes we feel that people say that uh, these programs are just smashing existing artwork together to form something new and it's, it's not as simple as that, obviously. And there's a lot of other complexity that goes behind the scene in making what we see actually possible. So I'll stop there. I mean, attribution is going to be a challenging thing to do. I think we have to figure this out, but don't really see easy solutions for that at this point. So as we conclude this roundup, we hope you found value in this first season of Edge of AI. 
Whether you've been with us since the very beginning or recently joined, your support is greatly appreciated. We've had a fantastic season. We're thrilled to have climbed the listening chart so early in our podcast journey. We want to hear from you, our listeners, so we can keep delivering content that resonates. Please drop us a DM on edgeof underscore AI on X or visit our YouTube page to leave a comment sharing what you love about the podcast and what you'd like to see more of for season two. Your insights will help shape the upcoming shows and make the show even better when we come back in a few weeks with season two, which launches December 7th. Next season includes another incredible roster of experts and pioneers, such as Senior Vice President of Product at Vimeo, Zohar Dayan, and Pranar Demiradag from Kubrick, revolutionizing film pre-production and production. Meanwhile, we're still delivering the freshest AI news for you every Tuesday with Metaverse Post. With that, we conclude season one of The Edge of AI. Again, we love exploring this treasure trove of knowledge. Thanks for watching, listening, and being part of this exciting space. See you in the next season. Goodbye. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of AI reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. While we make every effort to ensure that the information about AI technology is accurate and up-to-date, we cannot guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or timeliness. We make no representations or warranties of any kind with respect to the information, products, or services discussed. Please be aware AI may occasionally generate incorrect or misleading information and produce offensive or biased content. Under no circumstances shall we be liable for any loss or damage, including without limitation, indirect or consequential loss or damage, or any loss or damage arising from loss of data or profits arising out of or in connection with the use of technology discussed on our podcast. Additionally, our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. Lastly, time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of these links. Refer to our website, edgeofai.xyz, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, privacy policy, and copyright notice. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of AI reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. While we make every effort to ensure that the information about AI technology is accurate and up-to-date, we cannot guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or timeliness. We make no representations or warranties of any kind with respect to the information, products, or services discussed. Please be aware AI may occasionally generate incorrect or misleading information and produce offensive or biased content. Under no circumstances shall we be liable for any loss or damage, including without limitation, indirect or consequential loss or damage, or any loss or damage arising from loss of data or profits arising out of or in connection with the use of technology discussed on our podcast. Additionally, our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. Lastly, time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of these links. Refer to our website, edgeofai.xyz, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, privacy policy, and copyright notice.